Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Courtside with Beelins and Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Tonight we have such an awesome guest. She's the founder of Element M Agency, a member of the PR Council, and is going into her second year of being Director of Media for the Delray Beach Open, a men's ATP 250 tournament in February. And as you'll hear during our discussion, she is quite the tennis player herself as well. Please welcome to the pod, Natalie Mikulich. Natalie, thank you so much for uh, spending some time tonight talking through uh, your journey. <laughs> of course, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to join you on the podcast and talk all things tennis, my first book. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you have there, there's so much to unpack when we talk about your story. Um, not only your cool jobs and what you're doing now, but also you were a heck of a tennis player yourself, and I want to kind of Start with that dream, right? You grew up in San Diego. You had that dream many boys and girls do, dreaming of becoming a pro- professional tennis player, professional athlete. Um, talk a little bit about your, your growing up there, and then, then I know you, uh, you, you made a big move yourself to Florida. Thanks, David. Yeah, that's right. I, um, I have always loved tennis, and I started playing when I was about seven years old down in San Diego, California, and... Uh, Apparently, the vision all started even before then in my first tennis lesson. I guess when I was first born, my mom uh, told everyone in the delivery room that the was going to Wimbledon. So I got kind of close. I ended up you know, going to Wimbledon to watch a little bit of tennis, but it was uh, quite an amazing journey along the way. And uh, growing up in San Diego, like I said, I spent my first uh, tennis lesson when I was about seven years old. And um, from what I've been told, played my first tournament at eight. I can't say I quite remember my first How old were you during those times when you were traveling on the national team? So I was about 13 when I did my first trip, and I will never forget when I was in San Diego, and I went to France, and, um, you know, I grew up living like five miles from the, from the, the Mexican border. Never, I still to this day have never crossed over into Mexico, but I've 
been to numerous continents around the world. And um, we went over to uh, France and to Belgium. And uh, it was the first time I had traveled without my parents because I was about, you know, 13 years old. And my mom packed my bags, and of course she overpacked my bags. And so next thing I know, I'm in Europe with uh, the U.S. Uh, team USA coaches and the other players and did not have a duffel roller bag. And let me tell you, I was struggling to get my <laughs> Um, <laughs> around the country and in France and Europe and even on the train because I had to carry my huge racket bag and I had a huge duffel bag and another bag and I thought it was some interesting life lessons uh, learned at an early age. <laughs> For sure. So that's totally, totally cool. I mean, what experience? Not a lot of 13-year-olds uh, have that experience. So, No. It was, like I said, I will probably remember that and many the other trips, you know, for the rest of my life. And oh, it's for sure. For them. <laughs> For sure. So what? So kind of go into the the move to Florida. Now, was that just you moving to Florida, or did, did uh, any members of your family move with you to Florida? So it started with just myself. Um, so Southern Cal, as you probably know, is you know an extremely great tennis community and environment, and there's so many good players that come out of Southern California, and there are tremendous coaches as well out in Southern California, whether it's San Diego or LA County. Um, but what ended up happening was, you know, as, as I started traveling with the U.S. national team and getting to play more um, junior ITF events, was sort of realizing um, that maybe I needed to take a little bit more time um, away from my classes to dedicate towards playing tennis and kind of just do half days. But because everyone was so spread out all over Southern California, it was really hard to get everything right in San Diego. So my mom, I mean, I can't even imagine how many miles she must have put on our cars, you know, growing up in San Diego, but was driving me all over San Diego and L.A. County and back to get tennis lessons, like with Robert Lansdorf or to play matches against some of the top girls. So um, after taking a look around at some different tennis academies and checking them out, um, you know, of course, I did the Florida to play the different clay court nationals and some other tournaments. Um, decided that the Everett Tennis Academy was a good fit for me. So when I was about 15 and a half, in my sophomore year of high school is when I first made the move out there and I started training, um, you know, with Chris Everett a little bit and the other coaches on staff, which were tremendous, as well as some of the other top girls, whether they were national, local, or international players. And um, that was about the time that uh, made the move out there. I didn't think it was going to be permanent, but it ended up being permanent. And then a couple of years uh, later is when my mom and my siblings and my dad, they came out and uh, joined me in, in Florida. And uh, they all loved the tropical environment, so there weren't too many complaints about moving, you know, from a warm climate to a warmer climate. <laughs> ah, yeah, that's right. The humidity, the, the summer humidity down there. So, um, gosh. Yeah, that was a big change. That was a big change. I'm, I'm sure. That wall humidity when you wake up in the morning, you walk outside, it is always there. <laughs> yeah. So cool. I mean, just to have all those cool experiences that that age group is so so crazy cool so why don't you yeah. why don't you kind of walk us through a couple of your junior highlights because we we're, we're going to get into your college uh college career soon yeah absolutely so um i think growing up in the juniors you know one of my highlights from the socal days was um i always played up in division up a division i'm not sure how much of that goes on these days in the junior tennis i'm a little bit removed from that but when i was 13 i was ranked uh, number one in uh in the 14 and unders, which, you know, was a little bit of a big deal because I wasn't 14. I was the first year, not a second 
second year in the age group. Um, and then that was year also traveling with uh, the U.S. national team that we went down to South America. And being from San Diego, I didn't really get to play much on a clay, on clay courts, but down in uh, Paraguay when we were there for a red clay court event, I won um, the girls' singles draw in uh, the 14 and unders, and <laughs> I think everyone was a little bit surprised about that, not that I was going to do well, but the fact that not really getting to play very much on a, a clay court at that time that I had won that tournament, and um, you know, I think also, too, one of the things that I still have and love is a bronze ball from the uh, indoor nationals from the junior tennis days. And uh, those were definitely a few of, like, more of the on-court highlights. And then a couple of other fun things that happened was uh, when I played Easterville one year out in Palm Springs, um, Tony Godstick, who was with IMG at that time and, of course, now represents a Federer and some other phenomenal players, if only I got into their level, he uh, had seen me playing out at Easterville in Palm Springs when I was in the 14s, and he actually invited me after that to come down to the Voluntary Tennis Academy on a scholarship for a week and, and play out at the academy and get to meet Nick, and um, I think that's when Anna Kornikova was training there, so... So yeah, I've had some cool like stuff on the court, off court, and uh, I think another one of like the fun highlights uh, that's not necessarily like on court match related, but um, I will say I did definitely had a temper from time to time on the court. There definitely were some rackets broken, <laughs> some ball slams, some yelling, some screaming, and um, you know my mom tried to you know keep me in line. And one year at I think it was the uh, fourteen under clay courts in Plantation, Florida. I don't know what came over me, but I had a really good event and also really good sportsmanship. So I won the sportsmanship award, and when I went to go tell my mom and my brother and sister, like, they could not believe it. They were just so floored. They were like, no, <laughs> it's not possible. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know. Well, that just, shows you can, that, that just shows you can do it, so it kind of worked against you. No more acting up after that award. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, sometimes it can be helpful to release a little bit of that frustration and tension, but sometimes you just got to keep it in and just, uh, you know, keep focused. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so definitely had some, uh, some fun experiences and events, whether it was uh, winning the tournament or winning the sportsmanship award. <laughs> awesome. So, I mean, obviously you were very, very high um highly ranked as a junior and when college started coming when when you started getting uh, letters from colleges i'm sure you got a, a ton of them and yep. you know <laughs> uh, you you have an interesting um collegiate journey as well because you went to two schools and you started at the university yeah. of florida and you actually your team won the ncaa title um in 2003 yeah. i believe and then you yeah. transferred to University of Miami. So kind of talk a little bit about maybe some of the schools that were recruiting you and, and why you decided yeah. on Florida and then eventually um, making the decision to transfer to the University of Miami. Yeah, so interestingly enough, I'm sure it still goes on these days for some of the juniors, but I actually started getting recruited when I was about 13 years old. I think because I was playing in a, you know, a higher division sometimes, um, the coaches maybe thought I was older than I was, but I, I remember getting recruitment letters from like UCLA and USC when I was 13, 14 years old, and um, you know, then as I got older, I got some additional ones from all across the country, like Vanderbilt, and 
um, of course, you know, playing on the tour was my number one goal and why I moved to the Everett Academy and dedicated myself to training day in, day out for years. But then as I got towards the end of high school and closer to that time, do I want to take a scholarship or do I not? And getting approached by the University of Florida and some other schools, you know, who were top in the country, um, you know, took a look around at the opportunities and to not only be able to play at, like, one of the best tennis schools and one of the top NCAA Division One programs, but also, you know, to have your education paid for with scholarship um, is when I started taking a closer look. So, I, I, of course, like Florida, you know, was top of the list. I still remember Roland Thornquist coming down to Boca Raton and meeting him and doing a practice session and took a close look at the University of Florida. Um, the University of Miami was on my radar, but at that time, I was still so, you know, into going to the best school and playing for the one that was close to playing on the tour and, you know, with Florida being ranked so high, it was pretty much a no-brainer to go there. And then, as you mentioned, um, you know, it turned out to be an incredible year. <laughs> we won the SEC conference and and then also won the NCAA championship at home playing Stanford. So you can only imagine what wow. that atmosphere was. Was that your freshman um, year? Was that when you were freshman? Yeah, it was my freshman wow. year. Yeah. Incredible. And now, uh, yeah, like, so on the team at that time, you know, Julius Garinch, who's now the head coach of uh, LSU University, and um, just so many amazing players and so many amazing girls on, on that team, and, you know, a lot of other great memories, getting to take the uh, the private jet to the uh, conference uh, matches. <laughs> um, but then after that, you know, kind of, getting through that first year and I mean such a phenomenal year and on one hand how do you decide to not stay at that school and at that program anymore uh, but also just thinking a little bit more about well what do I want to do beyond my college years and what do I want to do as far as my career um, is when I started looking a little bit more into the University of Miami and uh, with my family still being closely located uh, to the University of Miami I decided to transfer because they had such a strong um, you know public relations and sports uh, management program. So that was kind of why I made the decision to transfer down over to the University of Miami. And, um, you know, that's also where kind of one thing led to the next in my career post-college and where I first started interning with SFX Tennis, which at the time um, represented Andy Roddick and Marty Fish and the Bryan brothers and Caroline Wozniacki and Victoria Azarenka. And conveniently enough, the uh, director of the tennis division had his office in Coconut Grove, which was, um, you know, right next to the University of Miami. So, uh, yeah, that became a really great opportunity for my career that I think eventually opened the door for the rest of my career. Right. And you, you mentioned, though, you did that transition perfectly. I didn't even need to transition into your post-college career. Thanks for doing that. Um, the one, one name that I know we wanted to talk a little bit about was um, – Ken Meyerson, the late Ken Meyerson, who was Andy Roddick's agent yep. at the time. Um, feel free to kind of talk a little bit Absolutely. about his uh, his effect on, on your life and career and really a, as a mentor for you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can't say enough about the effect that he's had on my life and my career and, and being a mentor. And um, for those uh, who don't know Ken or didn't know Ken, um, you know, he's not your typical uh, everyday person or even, you know, similar to some of the other agents out there on tour now, I would definitely, you know, say he's more kind of like the Ari Gold of tennis, which is why he probably meshed so well with Andy Roddick. But, um, you know, just being in the office and, and being around what he was doing and being around what the players were doing. 
doing that were a part of the division. I learned so many invaluable lessons and, you know, probably some things that I that I can't say on air because, uh, you know, they <laughs> got some bad words in it. Right. But, you know, some, some catchphrases that I still remember uh, to this day that, um, you know, when things aren't going well or you hit the wall on something, I, I really do go back and I think about um, some of the things that he said and, and that I learned during the time that I got to spend with him. Yeah, and and what I've read publicly, um, you know what what we've heard Andy talk about Ken, they you know it's it's all just some incredible incredible tributes and, and words about yeah. him. So I know I know you think extremely kind. highly. Yeah, I know when we were talking before, you know, kind of prepping that the how highly you think of him as well. So. Um, uh, again, I mean, you, you are now at, and we're, we're kind of going through the timeline, you're, uh, we're about to be at your age of 24 where you make another big decision. And you've had so many yeah. unbelievable experiences um, from the time you were a little girl to age of 24. And at the ripe old age of 24, you decide <laughs> to go out on your own um, and start your own um, public relations firm. Talk a little bit about you know, yeah. how you had the guts to do that? Did you have the back? How did you, you make that decision? Yeah. So about the guts, it really was not so much guts. It was more like no clue what I was doing because I was 24 years old. But, um, you know, it really all goes back to my tennis career and then my internship days with Ken and that I truly believe that everything happens for a reason. And if one thing doesn't work out, like playing on the tour, you know, you go to the next thing and playing in college and like, okay, well, what kind of career do I envision after college? And, you know, what's the next step in getting to work with Ken? And that's where I had some of my first opportunities in PR and um, actually my very first campaign and event was for the Andy Roddick Foundation when it was located in South Florida and that year he had Lionel Richie come out to the Hard Rock um, Hotel and Casino and, and do a charity concert so just such a phenomenal experience and it was actually from uh, working with SFX Tennis and doing that foundation annual charity event that I met other people who after I graduated from college and was no longer um, officially interning with SFX Tennis approached me and asked if they could hire me as a contractor to work for them and so you know at that time I was working for the USTA player development which is also a little ironic because I used to be a part of the player development program but just sort of you know thinking about the direction that I won my post-collegiate tennis career to go and how can I combine my passion for tennis and stay close to the game and stay close to sports, um, PR ended up being a really good fit for me. So when a couple of those people contacted me that I'd met before about uh, wanting to work for them, I literally just took like a leap of faith and said, okay, I am going to quit my job. I'm going to see if this works out. And if it doesn't, then, you know, I'll look to see if I can work with USTA again or another public relations academy. Or as you know, in South Florida, there's so many tennis um, communities and um, opportunities. So it's kind of how I, I got started at 24. <laughs> so, so cool. And, and, you know, knock on wood, you've been, you've been knocking it out of the ballpark ever since. So um, keep, keep rocking and rolling because you've been doing some incredible things. So... Thank you. Uh, it's been a journey. I can't say, though, for others out there who want to take that entrepreneurial path, that it is just a straight-up incline. You know, it's like a roller coaster. It's up, it's down, it's plateaus. It's like you have a good year in tennis, not so good year. So it definitely has been a journey, but I'm, I'm so grateful and appreciative for that journey and all the experiences I've had along the way. But I, you know, that, that's really cool that you talk about it's kind of like what you do in tennis, right? You have some good years, bad years, good months, bad months. I mean, yep. that you having that experience and living through that, you know what it's like where it's not just a straight 
climb upwards and is, you just yeah. want to keep making progress one one foot in front of the other and when there's setbacks exactly. you find a way to make it to make it work and you're doing exactly. such a great job I literally thank you I literally feel like my whole life is a tennis match sometimes because I don't exactly always know who my opponent is because there's so many things that you can take from the game of tennis or from sports and apply it to your everyday life like some of the things you just said so right. So many invaluable lessons. <laughs> no, that, that's so cool. So let's kind of talk about Delray Beach and, and me being from Chicago. Yeah. When, when I talk Delray Beach, especially in February, uh, you don't have to really push me to get on the plane to go, to go down there. So, um, <laughs> I don't blame you. you, <laughs> I hear you. So you recently, this is now going to be your second year being director of media of the yeah. Delray Beach Open. The person before you who was actually my first contact there, um, she had been there a very long time, and I, I believe she retired. And then yep. the opportunity came up. Years. <laughs> yeah. How, well, say that again. I'm sorry. She, Lisa put in 20 years yep. um, for the Delray Beach Open. Yeah, that's right. So talk a little bit about, you know, how that opportunity opened up once she decided to retire. And talk a little bit about, you know, what, what you do before, during, and, and after. <laughs> yeah. So now that's also another kind of interesting story. It actually goes to show that the uh, public relations field works when you execute it correctly because um, what actually ended up happening was I had met Lisa once or twice in passing because living so close to the tournament, I used to go out and watch and had come in contact with her. Um, but there was a small write-up in the Sun Sentinel. I can't remember what year it was. It might have actually been 2016 where um, when I was chair of the Public Relations Society of America for the entertainment and sports section, the Sun Sentinel did like a small sort of like career highlight profile and I guess and I never knew this until last year uh, Lisa had kept that article so apparently as she got closer to retirement and they were exploring potential candidates and options um, you know to take over following her retirement she had mentioned um, that she met me once or twice and that she had come across that article so that was how I actually uh, getting ended up getting back in touch with her and, and the tournament for um, you know this great ATP event that was in my backyard every year that I used to go out and watch for fun all the time. So, wow. That's, that's crazy how things work out like that. That really yeah. is. <laughs> See, PR can work. You know, you read stuff, you <laughs> listen to stuff, somebody takes action. <laughs> so kind of talk about, you, you do your first year, right? We already talked about it. It's in February over President's Weekend. You have the seniors along with the, yep. the regular ATP uh -huh. tour event. You finish that, you know, that, that week in February, and then when do you kind of start ramping it up again for the following year? Yeah, so sometimes with these large events like this, um, you know, people will think that they're just a couple of months a year that you focus on them, um, but actually they're really pretty much year-round. So um, once the tournament is over, you know, we may take a couple of days off and rest, but pretty quickly thereafter we're kind of, you know, doing recaps and summarizing like what went well, where we can make improvements, what we should try and do the following year. So um, when we really start to pick things back up is uh, as we get into the Grand Slam tennis season, because of course with the US Open, at the end of the Grand Slam tennis season and everyone in the U.S., you know, all I focused on tennis is when we really start picking things back up. But, um, you know, it's a year-round type thing. You know, what can we do to make the event better? You know, how can we get more people out? How can we make it more fun and involve the entertainment um, aspect of it? And I have to say, like, what I really 
really enjoy and like about uh, the Delray Beach Open is the combination of um, the Champions Tour players and the current players. Um, you know, this past year we had phenomenal players on both the Champions Tour and the regular tour with Del Potro um, there as well as uh, Francis Tiasso. And then on the Champions Tour, you know, we have players like Tommy Haas, who should almost essentially still be on the tour right. coming out to play. <laughs> right. So, you know, Coming up for uh, the 2020 Delray Beach Open, I mean, an even more phenomenal lineup with uh, Tommy Haas and James Blake. You've got, like, the Miami Open Tournament Director versus the BNP Paribas Open Tournament Director. Right. And we've got, you know, David Ferrer, who pretty much is still on tour because he just retired a few months ago, and, and Marco Zagdadis. So it's really special, and I think that um, what's great about it, too, is that it crosses all age groups of tennis lovers, whether they're the younger generation or, you know, a little bit older and, and everything in between. Man, I'm just thinking out loud. You put those names that you just mentioned in the in the regular ATP field, those guys are going to do some damage in that draw. I know, I know. Like, <laughs> it's pretty amazing. We were thinking about this. I mean, you could literally still have, like, David Ferrer, Marcus Bagdadis, and probably if you really wanted to throw Tommy Haas and James Blake back in the regular draw. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah. Super, super cool. Thank you for thank you for sharing this. You, you know, when when I was doing some research, and obviously we we've known each other, you know, since you started working at for the Delray Beach Open. Um, I was I was reading a couple things that that you had posted and you had you had given some um, presentations on, and I came across two two quotes. And if you don't mind, I, w- I want to read them for the listeners. Yeah, um, they really them. really resonated with me. And then if if you don't mind, I, I, I want to kind of ask you to to touch on them as as well, and maybe Absolutely. add a little bit to it. So. These two quotes, one, the, the first one starts like this. It says, One thing I believe, though that everyone who works in sports must have to persevere through the tough times and to be successful at what they do is passion. If you're not passionate about what you do, and not just because of the money you might make, it will be hard to see things through when the going gets tough. And then you add, Someone wise I know recently told the Manhattan Sports Business Academy students, passion equals profits. Whether it is monetary profits personal profits or career profits. I believe that having passion for what you do will lead to rewarding results in your career and personal fulfillment in whatever you are involved in. And I don't know. I mean, I was, I was reading a lot of stuff and those two quotes really, really jumped out at me. It really resonated with me. I agree a hundred and thousand percent on those. What, what are your thoughts on that? must be on the same page then when it comes to passion and being um, passionate about what you do. And I think um, as far as the first quote, uh, I know that's from a blog post I wrote kind of uh, recapping my journey in sports and public relations. But, you know, things get pretty tough um, in the sports industry and things aren't always easy. And I know on the outside, a lot of the times they seem glamorous and you may work with the best players in the world. But behind the scenes, there's a lot of things that go on. And some days, you know, it just is really tough and it's really grinding. And um, you really have to be passionate about what you do in order to be able to kind of get through some of those challenging things that go on and really be able to stick around. Because there are for sure a lot of people in the industry who have been around a long time, but there are definitely some of those who, um, you know, it's just, it's too tough. Like they just can't quite hang in there. So you really have to like be passionate and love what you do, I think, in order to get through those tough times. And I think for that quote, part of it that also, um, you know, for me resonates is, uh, you know, being a female in sports and, um, 
you know, tennis is, I think, more even balanced between males and females in sports. But, you know, there still is a challenge sometimes for females in sports and wanting to attain, um, you know, certain positions and be able to do certain things. So, again, I think that, like, that's something that you kind of have to keep in mind, you know, just really persevere through whatever obstacles come your way and just have that determination to get through it. And I think that part of what gets you through it is your passion and your love for something. So, so cool and, and so, so true. And, you know, we're, we're approaching the half hour point here and I know you're super busy and I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I just want to say, you know, I'm a firm believer that, that life is about experiences and you have experienced so, so much in still your young age and you're still, um, you're still doing so, so great. And thank you. <laughs> thank, thank you. Thank you. I, I, you know, I, I was really looking forward to having you on and, and sharing your story with us and i just want to say um you know i appreciate it and i'm looking forward to to seeing you in delray yeah likewise thank you so much for having me on this was so fun i love talking tense with you and really looking forward to seeing you in delray and having another tremendous year so for sure you. for sure thanks a lot natalie so there you have it um so cool that she was able to to share her journey again natalie mikulich uh, director of media for the Delray Beach Open, a men's ATP 250 tournament in February. You can catch his podcast on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, and Google Play. Again, Courtside with Bielinson Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for another guest soon. Thanks.